Well, today is a today is a day of celebration. Okay, it really is. It's a day of celebration. It's a day that we celebrate the resurrection. And and I say this. I said this already earlier. But but the reality of it is, every time we meet on a Sunday morning, is to celebrate the resurrection. That's why we worship on Sunday morning. Okay, it's the first day of the week. That's when Jesus arose. That's why we don't celebrate or worship on the Sabbath, which is a Saturday. We have a new covenant. And we celebrate that covenant every time we gather. And so uh, I, I, I love the fact that, uh, that uh, Easter uh, really is not just celebrated on Sunday. It's celebrated every day. It's celebrated every day. And, and if we would learn to celebrate it instead of, uh, you know, kind of look at it as a holy day or a holiday, uh, I think it would, uh, it would change the way we, we, we respond and we react. But this morning, I, I kind of want to talk about some of those things this morning. I want to ask you guys a question. Does, do, any, do any of you remember what happened on July the 16th, 1969? The Apollo mission, what happened? Y'all remember what happened? Landed on the moon. You remember that? I was a a, a kid. I can remember uh, watching it. My uncle, uh, my mother's brother, they had driven in from Los Angeles and they had a camper, which uh, in the part of the... In the part of the world I live in was a novel thing. So we were, all the kids were in the camper and we were watching the moon landing. Uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon and the first human being walked on the moon. Do you know what the first, I hate to ask this question because y'all don't give me much response on the dates, okay? Maybe you're better with people. Who knows who the first man to walk on the moon, the first human being to step foot on the moon? Neil Armstrong, you're exactly right. Do, but do you know Neil Armstrong was not supposed to be the first man? Did you realize that? Buzz Aldrin was supposed to be the first man to walk on the moon. Buzz Aldrin was a, was a pilot. He was the pilot of the Apollo 11 lunar module. He was, a, he was selected to be on this mission because he was an Air Force pilot who'd had experience walking in space. Uh, Armstrong was a Navy pilot. And he was the co-pilot, and he was selected because because of his courage. And when the lunar module touched down, and I, I can remember that. I can I remember watching that that black and white. This I know this is dating a lot of us, but it was black and white. It wasn't color. But I can remember when that lunar lunar module sat down on the surface of the moon. I mean, we didn't know what was going to happen. We, we, we were unsure. I mean, we didn't know if it, when it landed, it'd just keep going and disappear. No, nobody knew because nobody had ever gone there. But when it, when it landed and when it settled in, and I would imagine there was a sigh of relief uh, in, in over the headsets. That the, but there was a command that came over the headsets that the... the uh, Apollo astronauts were wearing. And, and it was two words. It said, pilot first. That's all there was. Pilot first. But Buzz Aldrin hesitated for a moment or two because his mind began to fill with questions. What's going to happen? Will I get sucked in? Will I burn out? Now, the, the duration of that hesitation was was only a few seconds but in the meantime the next command came from nasa 
co-pilot next. And immediately, Neil Armstrong got up, he climbed out of the lunar module, climbed down that ladder, and he put his foot on the moon. And he became a part of, the, of world history. He, was, he will always be the first man who set foot on the moon. A few seconds of hesitation caused Buzz Aldrin his place in history. Just a few moments, not, 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 not minutes, just a few seconds. Hesitation robs us. It robs us. This morning as we worshiped, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> I wanted to take a, a run across the front. I'm, just not, I'm not just saying that, I'm not kidding. But I hesitated, okay? I hesitated. So I'm preaching to myself today. So what is hesitation? Why do we do it? Because hesitation is a pause before acting, and it's caused by uncertainty or nervousness. It happens because, very often because of doubt. Now, in certain situations, and I want you to think about this for a moment, a moment of hesitation can cost somebody their life. Just imagine you're driving down the interstate, 65, 70, 75 miles an hour. And if you're in Texas, you can drive 85 miles an hour in certain places, okay? But there are moments when if you hesitate with your decision, it could cost your life, right? I mean, just a, just a momentary hesitation. Uh, think about this, uh, a soldier in war. If he hesitates or she hesitates and doesn't make the decision that they've been trained to make, it could cost them their life. And it could cost not only their life, but the lives of all those around them. A police officer sometimes only has a moment to make a life and death decision. And that decision and that hesitation can cost him his life or cost her his life. And so hesitation can literally cost you your life. Sometimes seconds really do matter. But for many people, hesitation is literally a, a way of life. We call them fence sitters. Those that balance on the, on the middle of the fence. Or, or they're the vacillating match, masses. Or, or they're the great undecided, the nameless, the faceless undecided. They refuse to get in or get out. And more often than not, they get run over. Over and over and over. Again and again and again. Indecision, doubt, fear, uncertainty, nervousness. All those things govern their lives. Maybe you're a person who lives in hesitation. Maybe you're uncertain of what to do or, or, or why to do it. What happens is a, a person who, who, who lives in, 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 in hesitation and in indecision, very often they feel helpless. They feel hopeless. And what happens is they refuse to act. But what happens when we refuse to act is that we act. When we refuse to not make a decision, we really do make a decision. And that indecision becomes a decision. Now, today's Easter. And in churches just like this one, all over the world, they're full of hesitant people. Do you realize that? They're, they're full of people who are afraid to make a choice. Some of those people attend regularly. They're there almost every Sunday. And some attend sporadically. They're in a while, out a while. They come. 
But today is a day that, that we celebrate literally the greatest moment in human history. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but on Friday, we celebrate the crucifixion. That's when Jesus paid the price. All right? And it is vitally important. But today we celebrate the resurrection because today is the day when God says, I accept the price. And he raised his son up. And so it's, it's the most important day. In fact, we call it a holy day or a holiday. And you know what? Most churches will be bursting at the seams today. And most of them, well, they'll be singing resurrection songs. And they'll be preaching resurrection sermons. And they'll be praying resurrection prayers. But there's a common unresolved issue in all of these churches. And that is that most of the participants who are singing and praying and preaching are not living in resurrection power and therefore are not living the resurrection life. It's a hesitation. Why? Because of hesitation. It's a hesitation that, that's birthed in nervousness and indecision and uncertainty. And, and really, if, if we wanted to be just gut-level honest, it's, an, it's a hesitation that's birthed in unbelief. We, we sing about the resurrection. We preach about the resurrection. We pray about the resurrection. We talk about the resurrection. But the reality of it is, do we really believe that there was a resurrection? That Jesus truly got up out of that tomb and he stepped out and he's alive. Do we really believe that? Because if we really believe that, it will make us live differently. It will cause us to act differently. But instead we hesitate. And it's a hesitation that, that questions rather than a certainty that acts. What happens is very often our minds are flooded with unresolved questions. You remember the questions I, I mentioned a few minutes that, that Aldrin asked, what, what's going to happen? What if I step out there? Will I just disappear? Will I just burn to a crisp? We ask similar questions. God couldn't love me. Could he? You ever ask that question? Can God really love me? How can I measure up? Why in the world would Jesus die for me? I don't have anything to offer. I, I, I'm so messed up. Why does God want a relationship with me? What if I mess up again? See, we ask all of those questions, and those questions cause us to hesitate. They cause us to freeze up. Maybe not for an hour or two, causes us, but for a moment or two. And very often that hesitation causes us to miss the opportunity that God has for us at that very moment. The answer to all of those questions that I just mentioned, and a thousand others that we ask, we ask out of fear. We ask out of insecurity. And we ask out of unbelief. All of those questions, though, are answered in the resurrection. When, when the resurrection 
took place. God drew a, a line in the sand, folks. He separated history, past and future. It was the mother of all moments. Okay, it really was. It was the moment of decision. It was the choice that cannot be avoided. It's the truth that has to be considered, but ultimately cannot be disputed. Jesus was dead, but now he is alive. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was dead. I mean, dead. The Romans didn't take you down off the cross until you were dead. They had crucified hundreds and hundreds, yea, thousands of people. And they knew when someone was dead. In fact, they pierced his side just to make sure. So he was dead. Folks, he's not dead anymore. He's alive. He's alive. Now, here's the reality. I'm not here to defend that or to explain it. I'm here simply today to declare it. I I can't explain it. Okay, when I read the story, Jesus, they put him in the cross, and the next thing you know, there's some witnesses there, and he's not there. It was a miraculous thing that took place. When, when, when the, the Spirit of God filled him, that, that moment, in that moment, God filled him with his Spirit. Jesus got up, and I don't know what he did. Maybe he walked through the rocks. I don't have a clue. I just know he's not there. I've been to Israel two times. I've been to four different tombs. And listen, here's the common thing about all of them. They're all empty. Empty. He's not there. There's no body. There's no bones in a box. He's alive. He's alive. So the reality of the resurrection is not in doubt. Over 500 people witnessed it. Okay, that will be that will be enough to prove it in any court of law that examines the, the evidence. So there's no dispute to believe it and live. The only doubt is, are we willing to believe it and live out the fullness of it? See, the power of the resurrection has drawn us here this morning. It's drawn you here this morning. None of you, not one person, not anyone in, in, in this chapel or in our, our overflow, in our fellowship hall, none of you are here by accident. You're here by appointment because the Spirit of God has brought you here. Now, Jesus, excuse me, Luke paints a word picture this morning. And so I want, I want us to go to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at some verses this morning and, and examine some things. But really, we're not going to debate whether or not the resurrection is true. I'm not going to try to prove it to you because it's already proven. It's true. Jesus is alive. But I love the book of Luke. I, I love the way Luke writes. Uh, Luke's a Gentile, so he's one of us. All right? And I like the way he writes. He, he goes out and he interviews and he gets the facts and he puts little, uh, little uh, caveats and, and different things in, in his book that you don't find in, in any of the other Gospels. And, and I like that. He's a historian, so he, he traces the truth and he, he comes to a, he puts it together and he has a very ordered argument for what he's trying to show. And on the resurrection morning, this is what he says in Luke chapter 24, verse 1 and 3. But on the first day of the week, 
at early dawn. In other words, it's, it's those moments between where the sun is up and the sun is not up. You know what I'm talking about? Do any of y'all ever get up that early? I'll be honest with you. It doesn't happen very often for me, but every time I go to Mexico, I get up. And it's still dark, but it's light. And so that's, that's the moment I envision when, when it's there. And I sit out on the porch, and I just kind of I watch it get more light and more light and more light. That, that's the way it was. It was the early morning. It was, it was before the sun has peeped up, but it's, it's the light's beginning to show. And it says, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they. Now, who's they? Who's they? Well, we know as we read later in Luke's gospel here, and we read in the other gospels, that there's a group of ladies here, a group of women. They're led by Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a, was a woman that Jesus had ministered to, and if you read the accounts uh, of, of, of her and the, and, the, and the testimony of her, she is, she is a woman in whom Jesus cast out seven spirits. I mean, she had left everything to follow Jesus. She was dead. The, uh, the other passage, and put it together, you'll find there was another lady there named Joanna. There was Mary, the mother of James, Salome, and some other unnamed women. So there was a whole group of ladies that had made their way through the streets from their homes down into this, this cemetery, this burial place. And it says, they came to the tomb bringing spices, which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They had come bringing spices. Now, that tells me that they did not expect the body of Jesus to be gone. They expected his body that had been beaten and crucified to be there on that stone slab. So they came out of duty. They didn't come out of expectation. They came out of duty. And the scene was not what they expected. Yet, as you follow these women, they don't hesitate. Now, I just want to say this this morning. Duty may take us to the threshold of the resurrection, but without expectation, we will not experience the benefits of the resurrection. Okay? Duty might get us to the edge, but it will never take us in. It won't enable us to enjoy forgiveness for our sins or peace with God or or the personal presence and, and fullness of Jesus' Spirit or a life that's marked by two qualities of the resurrection, and that is abundance and eternality. You know, Jesus gives His followers life, eternal life and abundant life. Let me ask you this question. What did you expect when you came this morning? Did you come out of duty? Well, today's Easter. I gotta go. Any? (laughs) I gotta be careful here. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Did you come out of duty? Did you come out of guilt? Or did you come with a hunger that can't be quenched? See, there's a big difference. 
Your expectation will dictate the limits of your experience. What you expect will be what you experience. What did you come to songs in an uplifting? Did you come expecting some upbeat, moving songs and an uplifting little pep talk to get you through the week? Or did you come expecting to see and to meet and to experience the risen Savior? Okay? Because what you came expecting is what you will leave with. All right? Why are you here this morning? Is it duty? Is it guilt? Or is it because you're so hungry, so desperate that you'll do anything to just get one more touch of resurrection power? What do you expect? Let me ask you this. What do you want? Don't hesitate. Okay? What do you want? Put it into, somebody put it into words. I can hear crickets chirping and, and they're praising God this morning. Okay, what, do you, what did you come for? What did you want? Changed life. A relationship. Power, blessing. Share the Spirit. See people healed. An agreement there. To see people healed. To be with family. Power. To learn. See the reason we don't get anything. When we come. Is because we don't expect anything. When we enter. We take with us. What we expect. These ladies. And this is not to their detriment. This, this, this would have been any of us. For the most part. Okay, they're, they're just, they're just a, a, a group that represent all of us. They didn't expect the tomb to be empty. They were loaded down with spices so that they could, they could complete the burial uh, 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 methods that, 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 that they were used to and so that they could make sure their friend and their master was prepared for the afterlife, okay? So th- they weren't expecting much. But listen, we live on the other side of the tomb. This is not the first Easter morning. This is, if, if, if my calculations are close, this is at least the 2017 Easter. It probably is not one said right, but it's been 2017 years. So there have been 2017 Easter since this one. So if we come expecting nothing, we're just like them. If we come because we have to, this is a day when everybody that's a part of a church ought to be there. Or if you've ever gone to church, you ought to be there. Or if you're going to go to church, this is a pretty dadgum good day to go. Okay? But listen, if it's just duty, there's no expectation. So as these women step into that empty tomb, They have to deal with their own low-level expectations. I mean, they they step in there, and he's not there. Okay? This is not what I expected. You know what? It has not been a good week. I mean, seven days ago or so, 
He came into the city and they were dancing and shouting and laying limbs down, putting their, their coats out, and they were singing Hosanna. And then on Friday, they same bunch were saying, crucify, crucify, crucify. And this person that we've been following, this person that we've left everything for, they nailed him to a cross. We saw him die. These women saw him die. They, were, they didn't hear that he died. They were there, if you go back and you read. They had been with him as far as they could go. They didn't abandon him. And so here they are. They, they step into that tomb. And you know what? They could have become more disappointed. They could have allowed their emotions to be saturated with sorrow and disappointment. And they could have turned away feeling like, you know what? This is it. This is it. It's the end. That's it. But you know what they did? Instead of doing that, they began to look around. They began to observe their surroundings. And they realized that, you know what? The place where they put his body is empty. His body is not in here. His body's not here. That stone has been moved. Who moved the stone? Well, common sense told them the soldiers didn't do it. Okay? Because they had been placed there to guard the body. All right? They'd been put there and there'd been a seal put on it to make sure that he did not escape. And so they begin to observe questions. You ever been in surroundings and, 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 and they begin to look for an answer to all the questions. You ever been in one of those situations where you had more questions than you had answers? In fact, you had no answers and the questions begin to pile up. That's where those women were at that day. And Luke 24, 4 tells us that they were perplexed. They were puzzled. They were stunned. They were unsure about what was happening. They were at a loss for words to explain the unexplainable. They were unable to comprehend the uncomprehendable. They, were, they, they couldn't fathom what was unfathomable to them. And they just kept looking. They kept observing. Their hunger for an answer kept them there. A solution. They needed a solution. They needed a why. You ever ask God why? I'm not saying why me, God. I mean, we ask that a lot. But God doesn't mind why. Why, God? Why did this happen? Why? What? They were asking those questions. You know what? This morning, some of you need to do what these ladies did. You need to look around at the tomb that you're standing in. It may be a tomb of regrets. It it, it may be a dead-end situation. It may be a circumstance that's not going to change. It may be smothering or overwhelming. But you need to look at the present context of your life. And you need to ask God, what are you doing? Not why me, God. You know what? Why me questions never get answered. But what are you doing, questions? God always answers. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. You need to stop ignoring your situation. You need to stop trying to rationalize it away or excuse it away. You just need to take hold of it and say, it is what it is. 
Okay? Here's where I'm at, and here's why I'm here, and this is what it is. And you just admit it. And you know what you do after you admit it? You give up, and you surrender. See, God already knows it's overwhelming. The women came to that place where they had no words to explain what they were encountering. They couldn't explain it. I want you to listen to me this morning. God's not mad at you. Okay? He's not angry because you've made you. I don't care. He's not disappointed with you. He's not out to get you. I don't care what any person who has stood behind this pulpit has ever said in that manner. That is not true. Jesus, God had just poured out his wrath on his son. Jesus didn't just bear our sins. He bore the wrath of God for sin. All right? Which means God is no longer angry because he poured out his anger on his son. That's what took place on Friday. What's taking place here in in that tomb that morning is God's peace is now flooded in. His joy has come. It's the year of jubilee, if you want to use an Old Testament kind of phrase or sentence. So God's not mad at you this morning. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, but God's not mad at you. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, but God's not mad at you. He raised Jesus up so that Jesus could take care of what you have done or what you will do. Listen, God does not create tombs or graves. Yet He alone has the power to empty any grave that you or I are trapped in. But listen to me, He doesn't resuscitate. Okay, he raises from the dead. You know what goes in a grave? Dead things. Dead things. He doesn't resuscitate. He resurrects. Listen, the Bible does not explain the resurrection. I wish it did. My inquiring mind wants to know how that happened. Just like my inquiring mind wants to know how the virgin birth took place. You know what I mean? Those are questions that, wow, God, I really would like to know this. But you know what? When I get to heaven, I probably won't care anymore. I just can't see me walking up to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit and saying, hey, let's chill out for a moment or two and explain how this happened. That probably is not going to happen. But I want you to listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Because in a manner of speaking, God does explain it. But he ties it to us. He says, but if the Spirit of Him, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. In other words, and if He doesn't live in Spirit, lives in you. And if he doesn't live in you, then, then that means you don't know Jesus yet. But if he lives in you, he 
the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells in you. In other words, the Spirit of God is the power of the resurrection. He was the power of the resurrection in Jesus. And listen to me, whatever grave you find yourself in right now, He is the same power. He's not lost any of it. I mean, he is not a battery that's about half run down because it's been 2,000 years. He is as strong today as he has ever been, and he is as strong today as he will ever be. All right? And so if you're in a dead-end situation or you're, you're in what you consider a tomb, then allow the Holy Spirit to lift you out of it, to empower you. At the same moment, these ladies were perplexed, as they were puzzled, as they were in chaos and confusion, God steps in. You know why God stepped in in that moment? Because Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33, that God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. Their minds begin to race. They, they, they didn't know what to do. God doesn't go, you know what? I'm going to let these gals suffer for a while. They should have believed. They should have listened to my son, so I'm just going to let them you know, run around in circles for a little while. That's not what he does. At the moment, they begin to question, and, and the doubt and the fears begin to flood in, and they don't know what's going on. Boom, something happens. God begins to move. I, I want to read what, what happens. In Luke chapter 24, verse 4 and 6, it says, And it happened while they were perplexed. At the same moment they became perplexed, this happens. Behold, two men. Now we know those two men were what? Angels. They were angelic beings. Suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. That suddenly means like lightning struck. Okay? All of a sudden, I mean, there were these ladies in the tomb, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, boom, the lights flashed, and here's two angels. And the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. In the chaos and the confusion of that moment, God angels and, and he not only... And he reorients these women by the appearance of these two angels. And, and he not only does it by the appearance of the angels, but he does it also in the asking of a question. And he does it also in the announcement of a life-changing event. I mentioned a moment ago that the appearance was like lightning flashed. I mean, boom, he's not there. they're not there. Boom, they're there. And I want you to listen to the, the questions that the angel then asks. In Luke chapter 24, verse 5, it says, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Don't miss this question this morning. Let it, let it kind of sink down into your heart of hearts. Don't just entertain it here. Entertain it here. Why do you seek, why do you seek the living one among the dead? Let it, let it move from your mind to your heart of hearts. Let it, let it permeate your soul for a moment or two. Make a statement here. You know what? The living one, the resurrected Jesus, 
the Lord Jesus Christ is the only person who can satisfy those hunger pains that gnaw incessantly in each one of us. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of you hunger? And I don't want you to raise your hand. But you know there's got to be more. I come every Sunday. I get up every day. God, there's got to be more than this. You ever feel like that sometimes? It's not that what God's doing is not wonderful and great. It's just, you know what? I want more. So Nelson, you're, you just want too much. Accept what you got and be happy. Listen, I heard that as a kid. It didn't get it then. It doesn't get it now. Because here's what happened when God touches or speaks to you. When he, when he puts his hand on you or a finger on you or speaks to you, it ruins you. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. It ruins you. And what, ha- what was good yesterday doesn't satisfy anymore. It's kind of like the children of Israel in Egypt. They were to go out every day and get new manna. They were not to, to save it and, and not go out the next day. Why? Because yesterday's manna doesn't satisfy for today. And folks, until we get to that place where we admit that, you know what, there's a hole in my soul. <laughs> and I can't fill it up with anything else but God. I want more. I mean, I pray this constantly. God, I want more. Holy Spirit, I want more. I have never heard God say, I don't read it in scriptures. You've got all you're going to get. That's it. Just be satisfied when you get to heaven. It'll just be wonderful. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we can have more and more and more of God. We can know Him at a deeper and deeper and deeper level. I'm not talking about salvation. I don't, I don't want y'all to get wigged out about it. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about relationship. It can be deeper and deeper and deeper. But what happens is... We feel that hunger and we feel that emptiness, that void that something's missing, but we feel incomplete and we feel not whole, but you know what? We don't do anything about it. What we feel is what incomplete is. Listen, we were made for relationship with Jesus. We were not made to come to church. Y'all do know that, don't you? That's not why He created the body of Christ. He created the body of Christ so that He could have an intimate relationship. Not so that they could gather, sing songs, preach sermons, pray prayers, and go home with nothing changed. That's not why He did that. Listen, this question to these women by by these angels explicitly implies... That if they want to find Jesus, they are looking in the wrong places. But this is the last place we left him. Yeah, but he said in three days he wouldn't be here. So why did you come? Oh, you didn't listen. And so the angel, yeah, but this is the only address we've got. No, you didn't listen. And so the angel says, why are you looking for the living one? 
among the dead. You know what? Too many people are searching for Jesus in the wrong places. And you know who's led them to the wrong places? We have. We have. You know what? We search for Jesus in church activities. We search for him in religious rules and rituals and regulations. And we search for him in sacrificial service. And we search for him in guilt-driven Bible studies and guilt-given prayer meetings. And other activities that we feel we have to perform because it's our duty. Duty led these women to the wrong place. All right, And duty will always lead us to the wrong place. Because, you know why we, we follow duty? Because we believe this deep in our soul. We believe if we just do a little bit more, he will what? Love us just a little bit more. Folks, that's not true. That's not true. What that is is seeking the living one among the dead. Now there are others that seeking are seeking Jesus without even knowing that they're seeking Him. And they do it by going after pleasure. And they go, do it by going after power and position and, and even perversion. It may be pills. It may be uh, uh, alcohol uh, out of a bottle. It, it, it may be uh, a sexual encounter. It, it may be by cramming anything that you think will fit in that empty hole. With everything that money will buy. But you know what? None of that stuff will satisfy. Why? Because it's seeking the living one. Among the dead. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're, you're a believer. Or maybe you're someone who has yet to meet Jesus Christ. But maybe you're doing everything you can to feed a hunger that you can't satisfy. Stop looking for the living one among the dead. And allow the living one, allow Jesus to come in and to heal that hurt. To dress those wounds and permanently fill that bottomless pit. That abyss that you call your heart. You know what? Most of us are far more intimate with death than we would like to admit. And I don't, I don't mean that you've lost the I mean the last few weeks. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, we know what it's like to live in the garbage dump, getting by on the rakings and the scrapings from the trash that's scattered all around us. Most of us know disappointment. We know discouragement. And if we're real honest, we know depression. And all of that arises from existing day to day. Listen, I'm sad, I hate to say this, but most Christians I know are just as frustrated as the people who have yet to meet Jesus Christ. They really are. Why do you say that, Nelson? Because I've I've spent almost 20 years counseling them. Okay? I've talked to countless people. They were believers. They knew Jesus. I I made sure. I asked all the questions. I I mean, they, they gave me all the answers. And yet, they were just as frustrated and depressed and discouraged and ready to give up as somebody who didn't know Jesus. Why? Because we've been looking for the living one 
among the dead. We've looked for him in created things. And we've perverted created things. And those things can never satisfy the hunger that the creator personally placed within each one of us. And I love what the angel says in Luke 24, 6. He's not here. He's risen. Listen to me. He's not in the grave anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. He's risen. He's risen. He has risen. He's risen. Jesus has overcome both death and the grave. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he's alive? Or is it something that we tell ourselves to help us get through the day? Because if it is, we are still seeking the living one among the dead. Listen, he is alive. He is not in a tomb. He stayed in the tomb three days. That was as long as he had to stay. Okay, that was what the prophetic word said would take place. He fulfilled it. He is no longer in the tomb. If you know Jesus this morning, he lives within you. He has placed his spirit in you. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to all the time. You don't have to walk around with a long face. You don't have to be sad. Now, I'm not telling you you need to be jumping up and down doing calisthenics all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But if the Spirit of the living God lives in you, if, if Jesus Christ lives in you, it changes who you are. You may be struggling with some physical things or some emotional things, but you know what? That doesn't change the joy of the Lord which is in you. Some of the people who have made the greatest impact in my life were in situations that I never want to be in. But you know what? The situation was not who they were. The situation was the place they ministered out of. And that's what changed people's lives. Don't tell me you believe in the resurrection if you are unwilling to live the resurrected life that Jesus has imparted to us. I've said this over and over and over. You've heard me say this for the past five and a half years. If you truly believe something, you will live it out. And if you don't believe it, it's just words. It's just words. Now, many of you this morning are hesitant. You're hesitant to leave the garbage dump. And you're hesitant to truly live the life that Jesus died and rose to give. You're hesitant to step out away from those things that don't satisfy. You know why? Because they're comfortable. I know what to expect in my misery. Okay? I mean, I've talked to people before and would talk to them about freedom. And they go, you know what? I don't know what freedom is. I'd rather stay here. You want to be in bondage? Well, I know what to expect here. I know how to handle this. But what if you didn't have to handle that anymore and you could be free? You know what, preacher? I don't know what freedom is. I've never experienced that. I don't know what it is. 
And some of you this morning are there. You're hesitant to step away from those things that don't satisfy because they're comfortable. They're easy. They're predictable. Step into the life to stop managing and medicating the pain you know so that you can step into the lifestyle of Jesus' presence and His power. Because you don't have a clue. You don't have an understanding of, of even how it could exist. And you know what? Perhaps the, the greatest reality of our hesitation this morning is the hesitancy to take a risk. We're afraid to risk. Now, as far as I know, nobody's standing with a gun and going to shoot you if you mess up. But we're afraid we'll be embarrassed. Or somebody will say something to us. Or they'll talk about us. Or we'll look bad. There's a passage in the Old Testament that I love. Because this is the place when I get to heaven, I'm going to sign up for this seminar. Okay? There's a story about King David. King David realizes that the Ark of the Covenant needs to be where the king is. It needs to be in the city of Jerusalem. And so he tries to move it, but he does it the wrong way. And somebody gets killed. And so he lets it lay for a while, but it, it continues to bother him. So he, he goes about, he gets the advice, he, he reads what Scripture says, and, and they move the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Ark was the Old Testament picture of God's presence. God's presence literally dwelt above the mercy seat, between those, those wings of the, the cherubim. He dwelt there. It was their, it was their symbol for God's presence. And so they begin to move it. And the Bible says that David stripped down to his ephod. Now, I'm not sure what its ephod is, but it's basically priestly underwear, okay? I don't know what it looked like. I don't have a clue. But the Bible says he danced before the Lord. I mean, get a picture of this. You're in, you're in the stadium at Auburn or you're in the stadium at Alabama. Does that cover everybody or is there anybody else I need to add another team? UAB, wherever. And your team has just won the game of the century. What do you do? Well, just bless God. No, you jump up, you're screaming, you're shouting, you're going nuts. That's what David's doing. Because his team has just won the, the game of the century. The presence of God has come into Jerusalem. So what does he do? He dances with abandon. That's the class I'm signing up for, the seminar in heaven, because I got to get out of this shell I'm in and be who God's called me to be. And David says this. In other words, you might hit one, his wife says, well, you know what? You just distinguished yourself today. In other words, you made a fool out of yourself today. And you know what David said? I'll make an even bigger one to worship my God. Man, Jesus is looking for some people who don't care what other people think about them. Listen, when these ladies got it, they didn't slip back 
to where the, uh, the disciples were at. They didn't go back to where the apostles were hiding. Scripture says they remembered his word. They remembered what Jesus had said. All of a sudden, it became clear. Now, this is a great three-point sermon, if you like, natural three-point sermons, because this is straight out of Scripture. They remembered what Jesus' say, word said. They returned from the tomb. They, they left the place where the dead were, and then the Bible says they reported We are here today because these ladies didn't just disappear. They got it. And they risked. And you know what? That little word risk, R-I-S-K, is really the issue. It's really the real fear this morning. Listen, Jesus risked the cross to gain the resurrection. You know what? He did it. For you, and 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 for those of you that are in our overflow. For every person on this planet, He did it for you. He didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate. So why are we looking for the resurrected one? The living one? Among the dead. Why? It's time to risk. Okay? Easter Sunday is not about Easter eggs and chocolate rabbits. Okay? It's about risk. There are men and women that we encounter day after day, boys and girls, who have no clue about the resurrection. If I don't tell them, who will? If you don't tell them, who will? Well, they've got TBN. You can buy Bibles in bookstores. That's not what Jesus said. He said, you go. And you tell them. These women went. And they shared the resurrection. And you know what? I'll bet you could not shut them up. Because if you read the other accounts, instead of just believing it, And moving from there, Peter and John had to make sure. They're like most of us. Listen, it's time that we took a risk. Because all R-I-S-K spells is faith. That's how you spell faith, risk. I can't risk from a, a seat in a building. I risk out there when I'm, when I'm working with somebody that I've worked with for 25 Or I go to visit somebody in the hospital. I say, hey, you know what? Do you know Jesus? Let me tell you what he did in my life. You say, well, Pastor, I, don't, I just can't do that. Why? Why? If he's alive, he's alive. And if he's not... Why would you tell anybody that he is? But the reality of it is, he is alive. And he's called all of us to be witnesses of the resurrection. Let's pray for a minute. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.